Well, shall we turn this evening, friends, to the Word of God? And we're going to turn to that lovely epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1, just read a few verses. From verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us according unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It is my humble opinion this evening that one of the greatest evangelists of all times was the great American evangelist D.L. Moody. You probably heard the name. And he preached in his native country of America, but also here in Great Britain he held great campaigns. Uh, Moody and Sankey. And even here in Bonnie, Scotland, D.L. Moody conducted great campaigns in Glasgow, uh, Dundee, Aberdeen, different parts uh, of uh, Scotland. One who was instrumental in winning literally thousands to uh, the Saviour, a man that was greatly used of God, D.L. Moody. There's a lovely story about him that I want to introduce our subject this evening. Uh, Moody on one occasion decided uh, that he would take his Bible and take his concordance and he would have a study on the word grace. Now the word grace appears 38 times in the Old Testament, 126 times in the New Testament, making a total of 164 times in the entire Bible. And Moody was going to take his Bible and look up all these 164 references to grace. And the story goes that uh, as a result of looking up all these verses, all these references, uh, that he was so excited of what he was reading about grace. He put his Bible down, put his concordance down, and rushed out into the street and stopped the first person that he met 
and said, excuse me, do you know grace? Now, it happened to be a man, and of course the man asked, grace who? Because the man thought he was referring to a woman. And the story continues, dear friends, that man happened to be a policeman on point duty. And he was so impressed with the earnestness and sincerity of Moody that that was instrumental in bringing that person to a saving knowledge of the Saviour. He was excited, filled, enraptured about the subject of God's wonderful grace. Now, just in case uh, there are any here tonight uh, that were not here last uh, Sunday night, uh, may I just say that during this month of October, on a Sunday evening, we are looking at uh, the riches of God. What a subject, uh, what a theme, the riches of God. And last Sunday evening, we were thinking of the riches of his goodness from Romans chapter 2. And those riches are not exclusively for Christians. They are extended to both Christians and non-Christians. And everybody... Christians and non-Christians are continually receiving from the riches of God's goodness. As Christians, we acknowledge where they're from, but sad to say, the unsaved, they just take them for granted, and they don't seem to realize that they come from the bountiful hand of God, because in him we live and move and have our being. But this evening we're going to have a look for a little time at uh, the riches of his grace. And what riches these are we're going to discover this evening. Now what do we mean when we speak of grace? I always find it's good to, uh, to define words. Because sometimes we can use words, even theological terms, and we don't seem to know what they mean. So what do we mean when we speak of grace? Well, there are many definitions given to grace. Probably the most common is the unmerited favour of God. And that is a very simple, lovely definition of grace, the unmerited favour of God. God given to us what we don't deserve. Or if you like, you could take the five letters of the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, and form an acoustic. And you could arrive at God's riches at Christ's expense. But uh, the first definition is advocate tonight, the unmerited favour of God, the riches of his grace. Now the riches of God's grace have to do with those who have embraced the offer of salvation. 
who have come to a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus and they experience the riches of God's grace. The unsaved, of course, they're offered these riches, but sometimes they refuse them, they turn them back, they reject them. And because of that, they fail to enjoy the riches of God's wonderful grace. But for those of us who have received the Saviour, those of us who have repented of our sins, then we are recipients of the wonderful grace of God. Now I want to look this evening at grace in a five-fold way. Five ways in which we're going to have a look at God's wonderful grace. And these are different facets, different aspects of God's grace. You could liken it going into a jeweler shop and you ask to see perhaps a diamond or some other precious gem. And if it is a diamond, you take the diamond in your hand very carefully. And the first thing you notice, it has been cut. There are sides, there are facets to that diamond. And as you turn the diamond around, the different sides, the different facets, you can see something of its beauty, of its splendor. And of course you realize how costly the diamond is. And you may say, when I thank you ever so much, please put that back. It is too expensive to buy. You see, facets, sides. And as you look at the diamond in different ways, you can see its value and its worth. The same thing applies when you think of this wonderful subject of God's grace. We're going to have a look at it. And we're going to have a look at it from five different ways, five different facets, five different sides. And as we do so, we'll be able to appreciate just how wonderful and how vast, and yes, in many ways, how incomprehensible is the riches of God's grace. Well, first of all, we're going to think of saving grace. And then secondly, we'll think of living grace. And then thirdly, of working grace. Fourthly, of suffering grace. And then lastly, of dying grace. Not that grace is dying, but there's grace for dying. These five aspects, five facets of this wonderful subject of grace. First of all, then, we have uh, saving grace, uh, or if you like it, uh, transforming grace. And when a poor sinner comes uh, and acknowledges uh, his or her need of a saviour, they are reminded uh, that uh, there is nothing they can do to merit God's forgiveness. And this is very humbling, because we like to think we can do something, we can contribute something. But the Bible is very clear from Ephesians 2, for by grace 
are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saved by grace alone. We don't deserve to be saved. There's nothing we can do to merit it or to earn it. God saves us on the basis of his wonderful grace. Saving grace. Saved by grace through faith. By grace on God's part, through faith on our part, receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think there's a tremendous illustration of saving grace. And it is in the life of the great Apostle Paul himself. If there was anyone who experienced grace in life, it was Saul of Tarsus. You know his history before conversion. Dr. Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, uh, just tells us about this man, Saul of Tarsus. In his heart was bitterness, animosity, hatred against the people of God and against the person of Jesus Christ himself. And such was his bitterness his animosity, his hatred. He went about persecuting Christians, put them into prison. Not content with his own vicinity, he went to the Sanhedrin Council and received um, a warranty, received permission to go as far as Damascus northwards to pursue Christians. And Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 9 says that he, he was on this mission. And he was approaching Damascus when suddenly, about midday, there shone from heaven a great light. It wasn't the sun. It was a supernatural light that shone round about him. And he was stricken to the ground. And listen to this. He heard the audible voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul. He was devastated. He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And back came the answer that must have devastated him. Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. I wonder did Saul say when I, Jesus? <laughs> He's dead. They crucified him on the cross. He's dead. And lo and behold, he's confronted not with a bunch of insignificant Christians, Oh no, he's confronted with the living Christ and was gloriously and wonderfully saved on the road to Damascus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 
He gives the different witnesses to our Lord's resurrection. And then he says, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he says these words, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul attributes his conversion to the wonderful grace that reached him and saved him on the road to Damascus. That was Saul of Tarsus in this meeting this evening. If we had time, up you would stand. You would give your testimony. And what was it that saved you, that saved Paul? The same grace that saved Paul was the same grace that saved you this evening, brother and sister in Christ this evening. Uh, there's a lovely wee lesson there. Do you ever despair of that poor drunkard staggering home, perhaps uh, on a Friday evening, or that poor drug addict? Don't do that, friends. It's no secret what God can do. The same grace that reached you is the same grace that can reach that uh, drunkard, that alcoholic, uh, that drug addict. The same grace. Thank God tonight then for saving grace. But then we think, secondly, that uh, there is uh, living grace. Because when you become a Christian, you've still got to, to live. Now, sad to say, friends, and I say this very graciously, sad to say sometimes uh, there's a tendency... Uh, with preachers, and I would plead guilty myself this evening as a preacher of God's word, sometimes there's a tendency with preachers to, to paint a wonderful picture of the Christian life. Come to Jesus, you have joy, you have happiness, you have peace. And you have heaven thrown in at the end, and we paint such a, a wonderful picture of the Christian life. And of course, all those things are true. There is life, there's joy, there's happiness, there's heaven at the end. But sometimes we don't say when, I, when you become a Christian, you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to realize perhaps for the first time that there's a devil and he'll be after you day by day. People come to the Lord. And then they come to the preacher and they say, when I preacher, <laughs> you never told us about these problems that we're having, these difficulties. You, you, paint, uh, you paint the lovely picture of the Christian life. But you didn't tell us about these problems of this devil, this persecution, this opposition, because we're Christians. Sometimes, friends, that can be a pseudo-evangelism. A cheap evangelism. Have you ever discovered when our Lord was here upon earth and he was teaching? On one occasion, vast multitudes were following him. And what a joy that would be for some of our modern day evangelists. And then he stops, turns the multitude, 
And he says, now listen here, if you're not prepared to sit down and count the cost, and if you're not prepared to take up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You almost get the impression that the Lord is discouraging people from, from following him. Take up your cross, and in our Lord's day, anyone carrying a cross wasn't going for a picnic. It meant only one thing. That person is going to die on the cross. What was Jesus doing? Reminding people of the implications of being a Christian. Yes, it's a joyful life, but let me say, the Christian life can be a difficult life. can be a hard life, and there's problems and things that would almost crush us spiritually. But here's the good news. There's grace for living the Christian life. Here's what the writer of the Hebrews says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, isn't that lovely? Grace to help in time of need. Your problems, your worries, your anxieties, as you seek to live the Christian life, you'll find that there is grace for living as there was grace for saving. Come boldly, in confidence, and say, Lord, I need your help. Give me the grace, and you'll find you shall receive the grace when you need it. Saving grace, living grace, and then, of course, thirdly, there is working grace. Whether you think of secular work or spiritual work or Christian service, you find that there is grace for serving God. And what a wonderful encouragement that is this evening to realize whether in secular work or in spiritual work that God's grace is there to help you and to give you every encouragement. Again, we go back to the Apostle Paul for a wonderful example. Uh, after saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says these words, and his grace was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than them all. Now, we want to stop there. You almost said when I, Paul, you've been a wee bit cocky. I labored more abundantly than them all put together. What arrogant! Ah, but then he says, yet not I, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I've got the feeling, dear friends, that the Apostle Paul was so excited of being saved by God's grace, and he realized what he'd done to the Christian church before his conversion, that he was seeking to make up for it. And I labored more abundantly than the more, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. And may I say, dear friends, before I stand to speak, I sometimes wonder how I'm going to get through preaching. That may not be obvious. 
You might say, well, I look at me so confident. You say, oh, no, friends, you can't see my heart. God can. And I have to say, oh, Lord, please help me. And you know, he's never failed me yet. He's always given me the grace just exactly when I need it. You don't get it in advance. You get it exactly when you need it. God's a perfect timekeeper. He's never too early. He's never too late. He's always bang on the time. And thank God tonight there's grace for serving God. Isn't that wonderful? The privilege of serving him. And then he gives the grace and the strength to do it. And then fourthly, there is suffering grace. Brother Gray mentioned in his remarks earlier on, problems, difficulties, physical illness, problems and so forth. And Christians are not immune from these things. The unsafe have them, the Christians have them. Illness, sickness, so forth. And we also experience suffering as a Christian. Again, we go back to the Apostle Paul for another tremendous example of this. And he, he, he tells us something, and it, it was almost like a secret to him. And it took him about 14 years before he even mentioned it. He says, on one occasion, I was caught up into the third heaven. The Bible speaks of different heavens. Paul was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. He says, whether in the body or in the body, I don't know. God knows. And he says, when I was caught up in the paradise, caught up to the third heaven, you see, I, I, I heard things that's not lawful for any man to hear. What, what an experience that must have been. Caught up to the third heaven, paradise, and hearing things, and seeing things. Now, can you imagine some of Christians today, if that happened to them? It would be in the daily newspaper the next day. It would be on the BBC. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Cut up in the third heaven. Paul didn't mention about 14 years later. Now, let me tell you, dear Christian, here's a wee bit of warning for you. Would you like to be caught up to the third heaven? Would you like to have those kind of visions and revelations? You probably say, oh, that's wonderful. Well, let me give you a bit of warning. With those experiences, you're going to receive something. And Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What for? To keep me humble. Lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of these revelations. So dear brother and sister, if you're looking for that sort of experience, by all means pursue it. But remember, God will throw in a thorn in the flesh for you. To keep you humble and to keep you down. And oh, the books that have been written on Paul's thorn in the flesh. And oh, the sermon preached on Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
We don't know specifically what it was. We're not told. It was something that was given to Paul, a thorn in the flesh, something it was eyesight, bad eyesight. Because on the road to Damascus at his conversion, he was blinded for three days. He received back his sight, and something, maybe it was a faulty eyesight, resulting from that. Something of his epilepsy, something a different other problem, we don't know specifically. And you know, Paul was a good Christian, and what did he do? He took it to the Lord in prayer. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? And he says, Dear Lord, I don't want this thorn in the flesh. I want you to take it away. And the Lord said, No. Well, give the man credit. He tried again. He says, dear Lord, just in case you didn't hear me the first time, I don't want this thorn in the flesh. It's holding me back. Would you please remove it? And the Lord said, no. Now Paul says, I saw the Lord thrice. Not once, not twice, but thrice, three times. And he went the third time and he says, dear Lord, are you deaf? I've asked you to, t- to take away the thorn in the flesh. Would you please remove it? And if I could reverently paraphrase, did the Lord say, so and I, Paul, which part of the word no do you not understand? I said no the first time. I said no the second time. And Paul, for the third time, and this is the final word, no. I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh. You're going to have it to your dying day. But Paul, while I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh, I want you to remember something. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The thorn was still there. But Paul experienced in his suffering the wonderful grace of God to sustain him and to strengthen him. I wonder if you got a thorn in the flesh this evening, dear Christian. God may not remove that. You'll have it to your dying day. But remember, God's grace will be sufficient for you. Now, are you getting all these lovely facets? Saving grace, living grace, working grace, suffering grace. And it was Dr. Hodge who said that those five words, my grace is sufficient for thee, should be engraved upon the palms of every Christian's hands. My grace is sufficient for thee. Whatever happens, you will find it will never, never exceed the grace of God. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Your needs will never exceed the wonderful grace of God. But then, fifthly, there is grace for dying. Now, dear friends, this is something we don't like to talk about. This is sometimes we don't like the preacher to mention it, but uh, we've got to face facts. Let me be realistic. If the Lord Jesus does not return in your lifetime and my lifetime, we hope it does. We hope he does, of course. But if he doesn't, then we've got to face facts. We are going to to die. Now, that's not been morbid. 
that's being realistic, that's facing facts, we're going to die. But isn't it wonderful that the Christian is not someone who tries to put these things to the back of his mind and never think of them? The Christian is someone who faces these things face on. And he says with David in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There's someone who's faced death, and he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, there's grace for dying. Again, we go to the Apostle Paul for another example. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was beheaded by Rome? He died a martyr. He couldn't be crucified because he was a Roman citizen. But he was beheaded by Rome. And he was a martyr. And he sealed his testimony with his own blood. Beheaded. And I just can imagine in those moments before his head was severed from his body that he experienced the wonderful grace of God in that moment. There's a lovely story told of a martyr dating back to the early church, found himself in prison and the next morning he was going to be burned at the stake. For because he was a Christian, going to be burned at the stake the next morning at dawn. And there was in his cell a candle. And the poor man, even though he was a Christian, he was, he was fearful. How am I going to, to go through this? And he put his little finger into the flame of the candle and he withdrew it. And he says, dear me, if I can't endure that, how am I going to endure with my whole body being burned at the stake? The story goes, the next morning, he went to the, to the stake rejoicing because God gave him the grace to die a Christian body you see the night time he didn't need the grace but you see when the grace was needed and when his body was being consumed by the flames he was sustained by the wonderful grace of God there's grace for dying and it's been my privilege over the years as a pastor to conduct the funeral of many, many of God's saints, said one just recently. And what a difference it makes when the one that you are burying or cremating are Christians. How wonderful it is to read those words. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, death may hold us for a time. It won't hold us forever. 
because when that trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is here we're going to rise if we've, if we've died before the Lord comes and who knows we might even cheat the undertaker we might, we might the Lord may come and we won't have to die but whether living or whether dying there'll be grace when it does come let me conclude this evening by reading and I think I've read this before but you're allow me to read it again because these words by Annie Johnson Flint has been a tremendous blessing to me over the past months Annie Johnson Flint was someone who knew much suffering and for many years was an invalid knew much suffering and much pain she wrote over 70 poems and this is one of the best ones that she has ever written sometimes you hear it sung as a solo but unfortunately I can't sing the solo this evening I haven't got a voice, I haven't got a singing voice so I have to read the words to you and it's entitled He Giveth More Grace have you heard it? let me read it to you He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater He sendeth more strength when the labours increase to added affliction He added His mercy to multiply trials his multiplied peace when we have exhausted our store of endurance when our strength has declined ere the day is half done when we reach the end of our hoarded resources listen to this our father's full giving is only begun his love has no limit his grace has no measure his power no boundary no long to man for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again I must say hallelujah that's tremendous words isn't it he giveth and giveth and giveth again you see dear friends if there's no end to his giving then there's no end to my receiving your resources will soon dry up his resources no no boundary no one unto men so you can come with confidence you never exhaust this supply he giveth and giveth and giveth again oh the riches the riches of his grace you're a millionaire this evening you're a spiritual millionaire let others boast of heaps of gold if they want you've got something which money can't buy the riches of God's wonderful grace now the Lord willing next Sunday we're going to have a look at the riches of his glory and we should be going into the eternity to come and we're going to see how God is going to continue to give to us his wonderful riches of glory do come next Sunday evening friends make it a date and just see how God's going to continue to bless you in body, mind and spirit at the extent of you and to me the riches of
of his glory. Amen.